Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit agencyrevolution.com and click media to explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Well, hello. This is Michael Jans, co-founder of Agency Revolution. And today, today, delighted to be your podcast host. This is a really good podcast, so I guarantee you're going to get value out of this one. Um, so again, welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast presented by Agency Revolution, creators of Fuse. Fuse is the insurance marketing software that strengthens and deepens the bond that you have with your clients and the loyalty that they feel for you. It will help skyrocket your retention, boost policy per customer, and make your clients love your agency without you having to hire more staff, programmers, or technologists. If you haven't done it lately, visit agencyrevolution.com and request a demo of their award-winning software today. It is that good. So now, uh, as I said, this is a good podcast. My guest, Kevin Callahan, is uh, currently serving as the executive chair of the Renaissance Alliance, um, one of the uh, one of the premier networks in the industry, and one of the um, well, this is a, this is a this is a network that's been around for a while, serving and delivering value to retail agents for really for a long time. Kevin's been in the industry for a long time, and the depth and the breadth and the length of his career in the industry shows in this interview. Uh, he took Allstate Public a long time ago. Uh, he was the chair and CEO of Alliance. Uh, he was a partner at Accenture. He was the head of global sales for Marsh and now the executive chair of the Renaissance Alliance. We cover a lot of ground here. Kevin's, um, as you'll quickly learn, Kevin believes that the independent agent uh, delivers the greatest value in the insurance value chain, but he'll also encourage you, please do not take that for granted. Uh, he shares what he believes the key drivers are for organic growth in the modern age and how independent agents can compete for that growth, uh, not only against other channels, but also against other agents that are in their marketplace. Uh, before I bring into the conversation, I do want to say thank you for the many people who reached out to me uh, with interest and with questions about, uh, well, it was an announcement that was made by Agency Revolution about a week ago <clears throat> that I am, in fact, delivering a live online course on um, marketing in the modern age of insurance, breaking down <clears throat> 12 tools delivered over 12 weeks that are uh, designed to help you get your agency to the next level. If you want more information about it, reach out to me. Two ways you can do that. You can join me live for a, uh, a live Zoom call. Register there at www.michaeljanslive.com. So remember that, michaeljanslive.com. Uh, or email me and just ask me um, for more information about it, uh, michael at michaeljans.com. So now, uh, without further ado, um, I will, as always, remind you, please connect with me on LinkedIn, follow Agency Revolution on LinkedIn, and now um, enjoy this conversation with my friend, Kevin Callahan. Kevin Callahan, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? 
Michael, thank you very much. I'm doing great. And I am delighted to be with you and grateful that you invited me to be with you. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm grateful that you accepted my invitation um, for a number of reasons. One, my own relationship with Renaissance goes back uh, many, many years. Uh, I've had clients who are part of Renaissance. And, uh, <laughs> and as I think I've probably shared with you um, in, in previous conversations, when, uh, when I was uh, the CEO of Agency Revolution, I had a lot of conversations with the uh, former leadership of Renaissance about crafting a, um, a partnership. So uh, thrilled to have you here. Uh, and I know that we're going to have, well, just based on your, your knowledge, it's not just your position in the industry now, but your knowledge of this industry and your perspective on the trends and forces, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to a robust conversation. So for those who don't know you perhaps as well as I do, Kevin, who are you and how did you get to be doing what you're doing right now? Well, that is a long conversation, but I'll try to keep that to about a minute or two. Okay. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to know my real, my real perspective <laughs> on that. Um, uh, again, thank you. And in addition to a great conversation, I hope we have a little fun uh, here today as well, Michael. Indeed. Uh, uh, so I have been in the financial services industry uh, for decades, uh, since about 1985. Um, I spent uh, a little bit of time in the investment banking industry uh, working with Goldman Sachs for about 11 years uh, from 1985 to 1996. Um, and that's where I got introduced to the property and casualty insurance industry. Um, one of my uh, early assignments there was uh, helping to take the Allstate Insurance Company public in uh, an initial public offering. At that time, uh -huh. they were all like Sears. Uh -huh. And uh, if you can imagine, Michael, uh, back in 1992, that initial public offering was the largest IPO in world history. No uh, kidding. Yeah, a time when, uh, first of all, a $3 billion transaction was considered huge. And everybody who was thinking about buying stock in that company knew exactly what the Allstate Insurance Company did. Uh, this is very different to when I opened the Wall Street Journal today and I see that a $3 billion IPO is a teeny little thing. And most of the time, I have no idea what the companies that are going public are doing, and they certainly don't make as much money as Allstate made then or makes now. <laughs> Very interesting times. Uh, in any case, that got me involved in the property and casualty uh, business. Um, and not long after that, I ended up entering the PNC business. I've spent most of uh, the last 25 years uh, around, involved in, uh, running, or, or sort of consulting uh, about distribution in the property and casualty sector, and with particular focus on personal lines and small commercial business. Uh, but I also had a stint as the CEO of, of the Allianz Insurance Company, uh, where I ran their North American PNC business. And I have to say, although it was a fascinating experience, Michael, um, it taught me that there is a big difference between insurance companies and insurance agencies. The companies take a lot of risk and you don't sleep that well when you're taking uh, risk. So uh -huh. I am uh, I, I, I'm a devotee of uh, of the distribution channels and particularly the independent insurance agent. Um, well, uh, I, I know that you are, and, and you've made a, a commitment because you're now you've uh, 
Well, tell us what your what what, what your current position is and and what's going on with Renaissance. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I am the chairman and chief executive officer of a company called Renaissance Alliance Insurance Services. Um, I was part of a uh, uh, of a group uh, partnering with a private equity firm called Long Arc Capital, and we acquired Renaissance uh, back in the summer of uh, uh, 2018. Renaissance Alliance Insurance Services was started uh, around 2000, and they built a, a platform uh, business, essentially a network that uh, was, you know, one of the early uh, network organizations to emerge up in the New England area. They built a very fine business and uh, we acquired that business, as I said, in mid 2018. Uh, I am completely and totally dedicated to helping uh, Renaissance grow from essentially a very strong New England company uh, to a national company. We opened uh, a, a business down in the Southeast, largely headquartered in, in Florida in uh, um, early 2019. We've grown that business to about $300 million in premium in the last 18 months. And we have our sights on, on really taking the Renaissance model and turning it into a, a national a national business okay so um the the obvious question you, you've been in this industry well about as long as i have 25 or more years um in in, in a lot of ways it's a very different industry than it was 25 years ago so um my first question to you is uh, how is it different um what do you see as the these major trends and forces that are shaping shaping the industry now and and changing it in the near term future? Yeah. Um, well, one of the reasons that I was originally very attracted to uh, the property and casualty insurance business in the United States, and frankly, uh, ultimately, uh, I was involved in businesses at, at both Aon and, and Marsh and, and Allianz that allowed me to understand the global property and casualty business. And, and frankly, some of the same issues that, that were floating around the U.S. for the last 30 years are, are also and have been floating around the world for the same time. Um, but I guess we'll talk today about the United States. But what I discovered and one of the reasons I was very interested in this business is I found the property and casualty insurance business to be sort of extremely interesting, a huge business, um, mm -hmm. complicated, but frankly, very dysfunctional and inefficient. Um, and, fr and, I, and, and frankly, that was a perspective I had around sort of the entire value chain. Um, you know, even to this day, you look at the United States, there's 1,500 property and casualty insurance companies in the United States. Okay. By the way, there were more 30 years ago than there are. <laughs> there's been some consolidation over, over time. And if we think of any big industries, significant industries, 
you typically have a circumstance in which the major players in those industries have a dominant share of the market, 40% of the market, 50% of the market, 60% of the market, you know, and then, and then industries, you know, become sort of exciting because they'll have new entrants that are constantly coming in and, and sort of eating away at the market, but you do have these dominant players. And I'll focus now on, on, on the personal lines and the small commercial market and just provide it an interesting example. You know, these two markets account for about $500 billion in premium. It's a large okay. amount of premium. Yeah. Uh, and if we think about the U.S. small commercial business, the largest player in U.S. small commercial business is the State Farm Insurance Company. They have about a 4.5% market share. That's a pretty small market share for the largest player in any lar large business, any large industry. That's uh -huh. pretty small. But the other interesting thing is that whether it was 30 years ago when I first began thinking about this or today, the State Farm Insurance Company actually doesn't have any interest in small commercial property and casualty business. <laughs> They're in it as an accommodation to support uh -huh. what they do care about, which is the personal lines business. That's their core business. And of course, they're dominant in that business, right? Right. But the point around this is, whether it's personal lines, whether it's small commercial, it's a highly fragmented business in terms of the risk takers, the capital providers. Okay, let me um, jump in on that. Um, I can't help but ask why. What is it about this industry that makes it so different than other major industries where there's, uh, you know, we've got so much, as you would call it, fragmentation, so many, so many players, um, uh, you know, manufacturers, so to speak, whereas others don't. What, what makes that happen? I think it's historic and it's, and it's really a function of, of, of local and state regulation. Okay. And, you know, uh, people often say, wait a second, what are you talking about? You know, look, look at what's happened in the banking industry, right? Lots of consolidation, right? That's, that, 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 was, that was years ago, a local and state uh, regulated industry. And, 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 and they, they don't behave that way anymore, right? And uh -huh. I say, well, I hear your point, but here's the difference. The difference is that the depression of the 1920s put the entire U.S. banking system at risk. And mm. the federal government at the time took a highly dysfunctional, inefficient, ineffective banking system. We're literally back in the 20s. Banks wouldn't accept checks from other banks. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you'd have to go get go to your bank cash your check and get cash to take to another bank to give to somebody that was going to put it in their bank. <laughs> and, and when I started in the financial services world in the, in the early 1980s, I started at a bank. And even at that time, commercial banks did still have, quote, correspondent banking relationships, mostly internationally, but even within the United States, that was a, a somewhat of a throwback to the 20s. H having said that, what the Roosevelt administration did in the 20s and the 30s, because of the crisis around the Depression, they created the famous bank holiday, and then they essentially made the federal government the clearinghouse for all 
banking transactions. Ah. And by doing that, they told all the banks, you have to create uh, consistency because everybody had to be able to clear checks at the Fed. And the Fed said, we're not going to be able to clear checks that are written in, in 5,000 different ways or 7,000. And so uh -huh. the Great Depression created consistency in the banking environment. By the way, my guess is the banks were very angry about that. They were upset. They wanted to be out there unique. We have our own unique approach to checking, savings, all of this stuff. There's secret sauce in you being with us and not being with another bank. But the federal government and the Depression made, made banks become part of a big system in which they were all essentially doing the same things, providing checks that could clear anywhere because they had to clear with the Fed. And, mm -hmm. they, and that caused something that has made the U.S. banking industry the model for the world. It caused banks to compete on something other than the inefficiency of the process. It caused them to compete on services, other capabilities, lending at lower rates, lending more money, uh, taking more risk, taking less risk, being specialized. They had to compete on, 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 on things other than just here's how we clear checks, right. here's how we give you cash, right? Um, the property and casualty industry, Michael, never went through this. Interestingly enough, insurance companies, I mean, there was some trouble with insurance companies during the depression. That's how we frankly have many of the mutual companies that we have. Those companies, if you could imagine, they went from being private companies to being mutual companies. Uh -huh. A lot okay. of problems yeah. in the in the in the industry but the but the but the insurance industry didn't have anywhere near the problems uh that the banking industry had and as a result they kept their local regulation they kept their state regulation and by the way they liked that and they like it to this day because in essence those local regulations cause all kinds of difficulties with respect to newcomers to the business. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right? right? Yes. Okay. They cause all kinds of trouble. And therefore, if you've been around a long time and you've figured out how to set yourself up in 50 different states with 50 different approval mechanisms for new products, 50 different pricing mechanisms for products, all of this stuff, it's very hard for competitors to come into the market. So anyway, this is a long story. Maybe yeah. you don't believe it and maybe others don't believe it. But my view is the reason we have this inefficient approach to the capital providers, and again, they like this, right, mm -hmm. is because of the regulatory system. And it makes it very hard for newcomers to come to the market. Because by the way, when you start out, you've got to start out building your business and you can't really have scale because you kind of have to start in a state. And, 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 you know, nobody, no other businesses do this, and particularly in today's day and age with technology, right, where you have companies that are building national and even international businesses within two, three, four years, and they get to scale very quickly, not happen in the insurance sector. Um, so you may you, have another you, question, but, but I do want to just add, on top of this fragmentation and inefficiency in the carrier world, right, when I first yeah. started looking at it, and the place that I've really now dedicated my life to and, and that I'm so, so passionate and excited about, 
which is the independent agency distribution channel, right? My uh-huh. initial view of this was, wow, if the carriers are fragmented and inefficient and uneconomic in many ways, what about these teeny little independent agents that are in every small town across America <laughs> and they, they don't have scale, right? They, they right. have limited skill and they don't have any capital, right? This must be a, a, another like massive inefficiency about uh, around the business. So my so, yeah, what do you, what do you think? Well, my initial attraction in 85 was this whole business was very big, very important, very critical. The world can't turn without insurance. And by the way, we we've learned that this year right. yeah. as it relates to COVID and all the fallout, right? Uh-huh. Um, and they're you know, a little different than most, I thought boy, let's get involved in a business that looks like it's kind of a mess. You, you must be able to make money in that business somehow. <laughs> uh, and of course, I've made a career of it. Um, but frankly, much of, of, much of this, this difficulty remains. But I will say this. You said what's new. And what's new is that I think all the participants increasingly recognize the importance of scale, the importance of being able to bring uh, capital to bear, the importance of technology, data, analytics. And my view today and Renaissance's view is that although a lot of consulting firms of the last 20 plus years, and and I've got boxes of of, of their pamphlets and white papers, McKinsey, Accenture, Bain, Uh you name it, all telling us that independent agents would become dinosaurs that they're inefficient, they're ineffective, they're the bane of the existence of insurance, and it would all be cheaper and the process would be more straightforward without them. We just need online, we just need digital, we just need direct to the consumer. I have never believed it, I don't believe it today. Renaissance is completely and totally dedicated to the importance of the independent agency system, to the value that it provides in the overall value chain, and, and I go out on a limb and say that certainly I believe, and, and, and I think everybody in our company believes, and certainly the members on our platform believe, the independent agents are the most valuable part of that value chain. Ah, okay. So um, <laughs> so let me ask you a question here, Kevin. Sure. Um, well, first of all, you'll never find an argument from uh, this podcast uh, about the importance of the independent agency in the value chain. However... Yep. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I attempt also to be, um, honest, uh, um, and I, I don't want to put on rose colored glasses about the fact that there are difficulties, there are challenges, there are obstacles. Um, it's, uh, it's not always easy. Uh, the world, um, the life of being an insurance agency principal has, uh, new challenges now that perhaps it didn't have 10 or 20 years ago. So, so I'm curious about your perspective on that. Um, so you've painted a picture of, of, of an interesting industry, and I really appreciate kind of the, uh, the historical perspective that gets us to today. But, uh, but that doesn't mean today is uh, necessarily uh, easy. What, what do you think are the challenges that uh, the, the agency principal and the industry need to face head on in order to uh, thrive in the near and midterm future. Yes. Well, this is important and I'm glad you raised the point. Um, 
and and let me try to put it this way, and and, and maybe I'll I'll try to use a little bit of an example that may make it easier for people to understand my my perspective around this. Right? So. The reason that the independent agency distribution channel is the most valuable part of the value chain is that that channel has the critical bit to ensuring, and I, I say insuring with an E, insuring, uh, <laughs> that the customers, the insureds, the, those who need risk management services are in fact managed correctly, number one they have those relationships. The relationships exist in that channel. Mm -hmm. Number two, that channel is full of folks who have built up trusting advisory relationships with those customers. Number three, the experience that exists in that channel around not buying insurance, but managing risk, because that's at the core of what a customer, whether it's an individual, a family, or a small business, needs when they're deciding to buy insurance. We all think about this in the context of, oh, it's like going down to the store to get a product, right? Oh, I, yeah. I have to get a checking account. Oh, I have to get a credit card. Like, I, for the life of me, have no idea how and why these credit card companies can brand themselves. What difference does it make? What card I pull out of my pocket and put on a restaurant table? Visa, MasterCard, right. the Chicago Bears card, the Phoenix Sun. <laughs> like, what, like what difference does this make, right? They send me a bill every month. The restaurant accepts it. I pay, I pay it, okay? But in insurance, th that's not the case. The, 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 the issue for the customer starts with what risks do I have? What risks do I, am I not aware that I have? And what should my risk management program look like to deal with those issues in some bad fortuitous circumstance in which a catastrophe occurs? It begins with building a risk management program. And the folks in the independent agency network, both as a result of their long relationships, the trust they've built up with their customers, their experience, and their knowledge of the products and the companies that's the place to build these risk management programs. Let me okay. just add that, that, that that's, not what the, that, that's not what we see advertised all, all over the place, on television, on the radio, every place we go. What we hear advertised is, give me 15 minutes and I'll save you $300. All right, Bump let me... Products and you're going to get... Uh, I'm sorry, Michael, just bear with me one, one go, second. No, 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 go, go, go. I don't want to interrupt. Yeah, you. Just bear, bear with me for one second and then, and then you can rip me to pieces. Um, the, the, uh, uh, the other thing is bundle the products and you're going to pay less. Look, an important part of what independent agents do is figure out how to make the transactions affordable and to create value there. That means people don't overpay. They don't buy too mm -hmm. much. But the real issue is designing those risk management programs and then figuring out the best way to finance them. And by finance, them, I don't mean premiums. I mean to, yeah. buy, to buy the right buy amount, to, mm -hmm. to buy it from the right, right, right entity. And this is a complicated process. So this is why the, the, agency the independent agency distribution channel is the most valuable part of this game. Now, getting to your point, that doesn't mean it's perfect. <laughs> it's got <laughs> lots of issues. It has lots of issues. 
The most notable are scale, skill, and capital. There are 38,000 independent agents in, in, in the country. They control about 280 to $290 billion in premium. The average agency has seven to 10 employees. They're mom and pop companies. Mm -hmm. When we think of moms and pops, they don't have scale. When they have to buy a new computer, it's a big deal, let alone adding a producer, let alone adding some kind of a, of a risk manager, right? These are not huge companies. They have yeah. to count every penny. So they don't have scale. It's hard for them to invest. They have very great skill around the things I talked about, relationships, knowledge of product, knowledge of risks, knowledge mm -hmm. of different industries. They don't have great skill when it comes to managing best practice, identifying the right technology that they need to do the best job for their customers. Even if they can find the right technology, picking out which firm to buy it from, and mm -hmm. then frankly, how to train their people. All of this is difficult. By the way, there's, there's others, but these are the most, most obvious. And of course, they don't have capital. By the way, these independent agents are rich beyond their wildest dreams. When most, them, when most of them got into the business 30 or 35 years ago, by the way, the average age of an independent agency yeah, right. is <laughs> years old, okay. right? Yeah. When they yeah. got into the business 35 years ago, I don't think they ever could have imagined that they'd build a business with $10 million of, of premium where they'd be taking home three or $400,000 a year where their agency, uh, their agency uh, 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 mm -hmm. uh, would be worth four or five million dollars, right? They are doing right. great. They're leaders of the Chamber of Commerce in their town. Uh, they might be the mayor of their town in many uh -huh. cases, okay? They're very highly thought of. Again, they're trusted, right? right. Having said all that, uh, they don't have capital rolling around. Most of their money is embedded in the value of their agency, and they're mm -hmm. conservative people. They're not leveraging their agencies. They're not borrowing against those agencies. They know that's not the right approach. And so again, when it comes to investing, capital is an issue. So, so these entities need scale, they need skill, they need capital. And, and, and frankly, what, what Renaissance is about and, and what I'm so excited about is saying, hey, don't recreate the wheel. These folks have the customers, they have the skill, they have the experience. Let's figure out a way to allow them to grow to enhance their profitability and maintain their independence by helping them get scale, skill, and capital while being independent, while continuing to do what they do, and frankly, getting refocused on what they love, which is selling, building relationships, designing risk management programs. Now, that is a challenge. That is a challenge, but it doesn't mean they're going away. It means that the top quartiles probably already figured out a way to do that stuff, and what we want to do is we want to help the rest of that, the rest of that sector uh, uh, get access to scale, skill and capital so they can do the same. They can do the same thing. OK, so um, what do you think are the, the skills and the capabilities and the behaviors that an agency or an agency principal needs now today uh, um, well to thrive today but also you know clearly looking let, let, let's say we're looking into the future like five years 
What what do they need to do in order to succeed? And I and I suspect, and I I'll, I'll ask to some extent to draw a distinction yeah. between what's needed now and what perhaps was needed ten or twenty years ago. Right. Um, well. By the way, the same things that are needed today were needed 10 or 20 years ago that just nobody recognized it and didn't <laughs> do anything about it, right? Okay. I think the difference today is that there are significant parts of both the broad-based PNC industry and particularly the distribution channels that are now embracing the tools that 20 years ago when people showed them Hey, how about the, using this technology? How about using this data? How about using these analytics? People said, I, I don't have to do that, right? I go around and I have lunch with people. I shake people's hands. I, I learn who they are and so on and so forth. The whole industry sort of pushed back on these kinds of tools while banking and other sectors were embracing them. That's why uh -huh. I say yeah. stuff today as it was then, but the difference is this stuff is being embraced today. Let, let's uh, let's stop on that point for a, just a moment. I want to get your opinion on that um, because we've talked about insurance being, you know, largely, uh, you know, to some extent. Oh, I don't know if you use the term, but behind the time, behind other industries in terms of transformation. Yes. So at the street level. Um, first of all, I'll agree with you, but at the street level, uh, the, the resistance to change um, that we saw so evident for so long, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. What do you think was motivating that? Why, why wasn't the average agency principal more willing to embrace uh, change? Do you think, well, what do you think was going on? I think that these are people who have, have, have been, as we talked earlier, they've been extremely successful. Okay, okay. Yeah, Beyond sure. their wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. like, I have this problem myself. My wife points out to me the things that I should do better or do differently. And I say, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a very successful man. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, but, when I, but, but when I really ruminate on what she's saying, it's like, yeah, <laughs> all right. right. I, 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 I should do that differently. And I, I, sh I should embrace change. Right. But, but well, so, I think, so what's your sense now? Is it, what's your sense of the, um, of agency leadership now? Is it different? I, I think it's different, but, but it's different. It's not different across the whole 38,000 agents. And by the way, there's yeah. 40,000 exclusive agents that have this problem even worse, okay? Because becoming a, an exclusive agent means you opted sort of for the easy approach. You, you decided to align yourself with one exclusive carrier, Allstate or State Farm or somebody. And, and basically you said, they'll do all the, all the work, right? All I'll do is just go have, meet people and, and create relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, and, so, and so those folks and, you know, Nationwide shutting their, their has shut their system yes. down. States getting close to shutting theirs down, uh, um, uh, et cetera. Um, so, so it's not just 38,000, it's really 78,000 agents. Fair and, enough. And, and the point that I'm making is uh, they are not all in, jumping in the deep end of the pool. There's still a lot of, a, a lot of that group that is, is saying, no, I, I'm, I'm successful. I know how I did the business. I'm going to keep doing the business that way. And by the way, that sort of seems normal. It seems straightforward. We see this in all industries. And so what I try to say to agents when I'm meeting with them, you don't need to fear 
that the channel itself is disappearing because the independent agency channel is way too valuable to disappear. What you do have to worry about is if you within that channel aren't embracing the things that will cause agencies to succeed in that channel, which is technology, best practice, better management techniques, in essence, aligning with a platform or network of some sort that can help essentially allow these companies to operate as though they're bigger companies, get scale, mm-hmm. get leverage, et cetera, but still run their own, their own business the way they want to run it. Those entities that don't do that are going to essentially lose out to those who do. And, and I, I sort of have like a story I tell about this, right? The channel isn't going away. But the players within the channel are likely to change a lot. And I, I often tell this story. You know, if I'm out camping in, in, in Yellowstone with one of my buddies and we're in a tent and suddenly we hear a bear outside and the, the bear is rubbing up against our tent. We're worried. We got to do something. We say we got to get out of here. I jump out of my sleeping bag and I start to put my, my sneakers on. And my buddy says, what are you doing? You can't outrun a bear. I said, I I have to outrun you. Yeah. (laughs) And this is our point. Those independent agents that embrace those exclusive agencies that embrace technology, scale, leverage, being part of a group that can help them behave and act like a big company, even though they're a small company, creating value, growing those guys are going to be the survivors and the others will, they'll sell, they'll wilt away. They'll lose 2% market share a year until they decide to sell their company. But the consolidation and by consolidation, I don't mean the buying and selling of the companies. I mean the business, right. Will accrue to those who are embracing technology. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so do you think we'll see, um, I mean, clearly we're seeing, Consolidation in one sense, in that uh, um, private equity is, you know, quite aggressive in purchasing agencies, but um, <clears throat> they really do. Uh, the agencies do tend to, so far, operate quite independently. So it's a little bit hard to call that consolidation. It's consolidation of ownership, but not so much consolidation of operations. Uh, but in your model, <laughs> with with the bear in the woods, do you think we will see? Um, some agencies hit something akin to scale and other agencies um, either go out of business or seek a merger or an acquisition. So do you think we'll see less players? Oh, I'm quite sure we'll see fewer players. Okay. Uh, By the way, not necessarily in the next, you know, 12 months or 14 months, but over the next five to seven years, I fully expect we'll see fewer players. And, and so, uh, again, uh, when you say players, um, I, I'll, let me make a distinction between a private equity firm that owns 100 agencies and, um, uh, where they're really still acting like 100 agencies. So, so but you, you think we'll see. Um, I, I, I'm frankly still going to call that one. Okay. Because I think that the PE firms these are these are very smart financial engineers right and what these financial engineers have recognized is insurance is 
is this gift that keeps giving. <laughs> yeah, they did, didn't they? <laughs> you, 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 you get a customer, right? Yeah. And then that customer pays for insurance every year for the rest of their lives and you get a commission, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and by the way, if, if, if you get that customer early enough, that customer starts a family and, and buys a second car and, and a summer house and, and starts to have other needs. And so not only do they, do they keep buying that policy, renewing that policy they, they bought. They breed new customers. <laughs> That's right. They're breeding new customers. They're breeding new risks. They're breeding new policies. And so the opportunity to grow is huge. And, and, and the PE firms are like, wait a second. You know, th this is a spectacular business. You, you sell something in, 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 in 2020 and that, that same customer is worth five times or 10 times more in 2035, right? Yeah. Um, and all you have to do is keep the customer, just keep the customer. By the way, that allows me to finance a, a bigger a, a bigger part of my purchase price because banks love that, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Putting 60% down, I can put 20% down or 15% down. The less uh. I put down, the more I can pay. That allows me to come Anyway, PE yeah. firms are financial engineers. And so far, they're, 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 they're doing the financial engineering around just keep the business coming, right? Just keep it coming. But they're now getting big enough where they are creating their own businesses with scale. They're creating their own businesses that have skill. And by the way, they bring the capital to bear. So I fully anticipate, and I think we're already seeing this. I mean, one example of this is a company called NFP, um, which I, I, I have happen to know a little bit about, and they're spending an enormous amount of time converting the, and I don't know, know how many they have, but the 70, 80, 100 agencies they've acquired over the last five or six years from, from operating as separate entities to increasingly operating as a big organization. Now, they work very hard to ensure they maintain the entrepreneurial skills mm -hmm. that, that you know producers and, and agents bring, which is very important in this business because, again, those relationships are personal relationships. The trust is there, right? All that's important. So you do have to walk a fine line. But I anticipate we'll see more of that, although you're right. There still are many of these that do. They own 100. They're all under the same roof, but they operate as 100. But, but the other piece of this that to me is more interesting because the, the PE firm, firms will do what they do. And at some point in time, they'll pay enough to get an independent agent to say, Wow, I've I've done the analysis. I've looked at it, right? And it just makes more sense for me to sell this company at twelve times EBITDA or thirteen times EBITDA than to keep going. And that'll right. that'll, that'll be a smart decision, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But 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 that's that's not the bulk of these thirty eight thousand independent agencies, and it's not the bulk of the forty thousand exclusives that will eventually convert to independent agencies, or at least half of them will. Mm -hmm. The bulk of those they want to run their own businesses. They're family businesses. Their children, their grandchildren want to take those businesses over. And the bulk of these, these entities are going to want to keep being independent. They're going to want to keep being their own boss. But that's where we're going to see the real differentiation and the real kind of movement of, of, of these businesses. So let me just give you an example around the Renaissance platform. First of all, you know, we largely operate in New England. Okay. Uh, over a hundred members up there, about seven hundred million dollars of, of of premium. We got about thirty members in Florida now, and about three hundred million down there. So we're right around a billion in total. Now, our largest agency member has forty million dollars of premium. 
Our average agency has about eight, eight, eight and a half million of premium. So we have a lot of, of, of they're not the smallest entities, uh, but, but mm-hmm. they're, they're entities that have built good businesses, but they are mom and pops, right? Yeah. When those companies are on our platform, we have the leverage of a business that does have a billion dollars of premium. We're able to negotiate and deal with carriers as though we're a billion dollar premium company. When we're dealing with technology companies and we're buying their products, we're buying as a group and we use that leverage. When we're asking technology companies to develop something specifically for us, not one of our members could get a technology company to spend the time and energy developing some specific software or product for them. Mm -hmm. But for us, they'll do it because one, we're pretty big, but two, they see our growth rates and they know that in two or three years we'll be two or three or four times the size. I, I, think, I think I may know uh, one of those technology companies you, that you've you, had you negotiations do. with. You, you do. <laughs> Indeed, fact, I do. provided the introduction, I, I, I almost said that, that uh, you, you worked hard for years to, to bring agency rev- revolution to uh, a renaissance, and, and, and you weren't successful. But I can tell you when, when Michael Freilich and I got there, we worked very quickly to bring agency revolution into our organization. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, we, we, we do, we embrace this, this technology. Um, but, but the point I'm getting to here is we've now given through our platform, we've given our members the ability to essentially, you know, leverage as though they do have scale. And frankly, uh-huh. we have skill because they have their partner members. When I say partner, they're not linked together, but they're part of a big club, right? They can get advice. They can get thoughts. Uh, by the way, we have, you know, 80 people on our platform who are experts in these different areas of business, which all of our members have access to. But here's the real point I was going to raise. The real point I was going to raise is that in New England, the average insurance, independent insurance agency grows at about 3% a year. That's like a five, six year average, okay? Right. Uh, right. For the last five to six years, about 3% a year. It's, I think it's slightly under that. The average platform on, or I'm sorry, the average agency on the Renaissance platform grows at 6% a year. And the top quartile members on the Renaissance platform over the last five years have grown at 12% a year. Now, this is the point I'm getting at. The business is being moved (laughs) to those agencies who embrace all of these ideas. And at the extreme, it's being moved at a rate of 12 to 14% a year. Yeah, okay. Of our our group. By the way, there are some agencies that don't need to join us. They're able to do this on their own, and they're doing it, right? But but Mm -hmm. this is why I say then forget the PE firms, they'll do what they do. And at some point, some members of Renaissance may say, you know, we had enough. I'm 77. <laughs> I need to, I, <laughs> I, I've, worked, I've worked hard. I've enjoyed it, but, but, but I deserve the fruits of my labor. And they're going to sell to one of those guys. Indeed. Um, but, but, but in the meantime, whether they sell or they don't sell, it's very clear. Where are they getting the 12% growth? I mean, the, the New England economy isn't growing at 12%. I don't know if you've right. looked at Connecticut or, or some of these other states, okay? They're probably shrinking. They're getting 12 to 14% growth because they're taking the business away from the exclusives, number one, and number two, 
the lower half of the independent agencies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what I'm getting at. The independent agency channel is healthy. It's, it's going to be there. It is going to dominate. I think it'll have a bigger market share in five years than it has today. By the way, it has a bigger market share today than it had 15 years ago. And so all talk of ah. extinction of this sector is just... I, 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 say, say that one more time. Uh, say, say that one more time about market share. The independent agency channel, this is a U.S. number, right? has a higher market share today in the personal lines and small commercial business than it had 15 years ago. And it has taken that from the captives. Largely the captives. By the right. way, both, and, 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 and the bit of direct-to-consumer right, that, has, that still has survived, and we haven't talked much about that, right? Yeah. But, all, but, but you know, if I talk to just the average person that I meet at a cocktail party and, and I talk, tell them about being involved in insurance, their first reaction is, well, you know, Geico and Progressive, they're just dominating. They, won't they have all the business in a couple of years? <laughs> um, and and so, so we have come to be conditioned that the direct-to-consumer companies are just mopping up and dominating everything. Right. Right. Just not true. Not true. The captives have lost business to independence. The captives have lost business to uh, the direct to consumer. And yes, Geico, Progressive and USAA are doing very well. Mm-hmm. But just a few points. Progressive still has over 50 percent of the business in their company that comes from the, the independent agency channel. I haven't looked at this number in the last couple of years, uh, but when I was uh, basically putting together a plan for Renaissance three, three and a half years ago, did a lot of work on this. Yeah. At that time, Progressive was going to have to continue their direct-to-consumer, their, their, their direct business growth at 10% a year. That's what it was growing at at the time. By the way, mm-hmm. it's growing less today than it was then, right. but growing at 10% a year. And if they kept growing at 10% a year, it would take them 12 years to get to 50-50, the business coming from the independent agency channel and the business coming from their direct-to-consumer channel. Okay, now I I have to recheck those numbers today, but four years ago, they were gonna have to keep growing at 10% a year in the the direct bit to get to 50-50, and it was gonna take 12 years to do that. Yeah, so, I, and I also wonder uh, which is the most profitable book of business. Well, I don't, I don't know the answer. Although we could figure it out because it's a public company. But, yeah. And here's the other point as it relates to Geico, right? Uh huh. Geico is opening brick and mortar agencies. <laughs> right. Now think about this: the company mm. that invented <laughs> the direct to consumer. And by the way, they were direct-to-consumer 80 years ago. I'm right. not saying Warren Buffett. G- right. Geico, people don't understand, stands for Government Employees Insurance Company, uh-huh. a f- company that started 80 years ago. And it never had any agents. It was always a telephone business going back 80 years. Hmm. Now, when Buffett bought it, they, they ramped it up using technology, et cetera, et cetera. They've obviously done a spectacular job, right? Yeah. yeah. But a company that for 80 years has been a direct-to-consumer company, is today, in 2020, and has been for a couple of years, opening brick-and-mortar agencies 
why would they be doing that if they, they thought the independent agents were dead? Okay. <laughs> so, um, so you're bullish on the independent agency system. Uh, let, let me, uh, in, in, in interest of your time, and I realize I'm, I'm, I'm chewing up a good portion of your afternoon here. Um, if, if, um, so, so here's the picture that I think you've painted. This is this is a um, this is a strong, robust channel, but yeah. uh, but be, simply being a player in the channel doesn't guarantee success. Absolutely, be, because I think you're I think you're painting a picture where there will be winners and losers. Now, you know, the loser may be a strong word, but there clearly there there will be winners who will gain market share like your top quartile, which is growing at, you know, 12 to 14 percent per year, as you said. There, somebody's losing in order for them to be gaining, right? Because there's a yeah. little bit of a zero-sum uh, yeah. element to this, 100%. To this play. Totally agree. Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, so I, I'll ask you to like uh, um, jump on my soapbox. So if you wanted to deliver a message to the leadership, to the principles of independent insurance agencies or insurance agencies um, and, and get them to wake up to something or to pay attention to something, um, because it's it's so important that it could be the de the uh, deciding factor between whether or not they are a winner or not a winner. What is it that you would want to say to them? I'm trying to make sure I do this in a way that's that's as as polite and, and as respectful. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, these are people who have built wonderful businesses, and 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 and, and these are folks who have created an enormous amount of value. Yeah. And, you know, it's a little like I said earlier, like when my wife reminds me of the things I should do better, I, I, I take offense. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm a very successful person. Um, but of course, we can always do better. We can always learn. We can always embrace the, the future. And this is really what I would say. Uh, understand that you are part of what we consider at Renaissance. I personally, Kevin Callahan, consider to be the most valuable part of the property and casualty value chain. And that is the distribution bit, the independent agent distribution bit. You have relationships, you are trusted, you understand how to manage risk for folks, you know how to protect their futures, whether they're individuals, families, or small businesses. But don't lose sight of the fact you have to compete. And the world is demanding technology. The world is demanding data. The world is demanding analytics. The customer, particularly after this last 12 months around COVID, and this was already happening before COVID, mm -hmm. the customer expects more from anyone who's selling them something, whether that's Amazon in the days they were selling books only, <laughs> but, but of course today they're selling everything. Uh -huh. Whether it's grocery stores that they can now just place an order and get something delivered in three hours, the consumer is demanding more. And so don't lose sight of the fact that, be, that, that although you have the core skills, you have relationships, you are trusted, you understand how to build the right risk management programs, you know how to take care of your customers, don't lose sight of the fact that you have to embrace the future. And this is best practice. 
This is trying to get every, every benefit you can out of scale, being able to buy things cheaper, dr drive your expense ratios lower because you're more efficient. Um, but frankly, it's about best practice. It's about technology. It's about data. It's about analytics. And it's about delivering the same capabilities, the same trust, the same advice, the same risk management programs you've been delivering for 25 years, but delivering them in a much better fashion because that's Got what it. the customer needs and that's what the customer wants. And, and just to follow up your point, I'm 100% with you. We're already obviously seeing that the, 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 that the real dinosaur here are the exclusive agents, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's so clear. It's happening. You know, we've, we've seen uh, a company shut their exclusive agency captive forces. That is just a matter of time. That's happening. The beneficiaries to that so far, independent agents have enhanced their market share over the last 15 years. The online companies in the aggregate have, but by the way, most of the online direct-to-consumer companies have died. If we go back 25 years, we will see dozens of companies that were set up over the last 25 years to take advantage of people flocking to direct-to-consumer. Mm -hmm. At this moment, there's essentially four companies operating in that world. USAA, Geico, Progressive, and Liberty. Outside of that, there's virtually no one left. Right. Now, those companies are doing well, but... <laughs> Uh, what happened to the other 25? They <laughs> closed their doors or they were swallowed up and shut down. I mean, insurance is a perfect example. Swallowed up by Allstate, Allstate Indeed. struggled with them and shut them down. Right. So those, and by the way, there will be a, a significant, a significant part of the independent agency uh, group that are quote the losers. By the way, they won't be losers because they'll sell their businesses yeah. and the PE firms pay them a lot of money and they'll be very happy. But but they but they'll have, they'll be doing that because they kind of have to, not because they've succeeded in the new world. Got it. Uh, so uh, yeah, yeah um, I'll agree with you 100. percent Bankruptcy is is a very very unlikely uh, situation for most of those agencies. Yeah, acquisition I think, I think and, and a healthy acquisition is a more likely scenario, yeah. right? They'll okay. do very well. Their families will be fine. They'll they'll do they'll do wonderfully, right? To, yeah, I'm yeah. talking about their ability to compete over the next mm -hmm. 10 years right. as independent agents and keep running the, that business. That will be more difficult for them, but they'll do wonderfully uh, uh, in exiting. Kevin, this has been a fascinating and robust conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time out for us today. Well, Michael, I, I, I hope I didn't uh, overstay my welcome. And I, I hope that uh, maybe you'll invite me back another time. I hope so. Um, I, uh, well, I have other questions, but uh, <laughs> let's save that for Chapter 2. Great. Thank All you right. so much. And I, and I wish you the best there at Renaissance. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox. New episodes every Wednesday.